Welcome to Phrenesis, a show dedicated to issues in political philosophy. Each episode will take a close look at important essays and ideas in political and social thought, linking them to historical and contemporary debates, which is to say, finding where they are discussed in the footnotes to Plato. Hi, welcome to Phrenesis. I'm Will Lombardo. And I'm Brad Davis. And this week we are discussing... Isaiah Berlin's the originality of Machiavelli, um, which is collected in the book Against the Current. It also was uh, originally published in 1971 issue, New York Review of Books, under the title The Question of Machiavelli. I also love this. Uh, this was my first time reading it. You've been you've been putting me onto some good stuff as of late. I read this in. I took a. It was. Um, my it was theology and political philosophy which was just uh like my thesis advisor's book in syllabus like latest book in syllabus form um and and that was robert george gillespie um george's at george's at princeton um Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he uh and i mean it was basically like um a sort of survey of thought from basically Aquinas through where'd we end? Uh, I don't remember exactly. Like the radical reformation kind of is where it like wrapped up. So it went like Aquinas through the nominalists, then uh, all Dante also, then the Renaissance um, and then like Erasmus, the reformation Erasmus Moore, the Reformation, the Radical Reformation. Um, and he, he, so his thesis is that he sees a lot of like the roots of liberalism and the Radical Reformation. And he reads Machiavelli a lot different, but we read Machiavelli in that class. And this was the, the there was always a piece of secondary literature assigned alongside the reading. And this was one of the, one of the, we read The Prince in two sittings. This was the one assigned to one of them. And I remember reading it then and thinking, like, this is brilliant. Um, it, it is so brilliant. Um, Berlin's prose in this is just phenomenal. Yeah, he's a great too. writer. He, it's, there's a couple points of it where it's a bit repetitive. Um, but right. the, his claim is somehow weirdly kind of unique and controversial even though it doesn't seem like it should be and so he does need to really lay out what he's doing differently so i think uh one one thing that i think is helpful to keep in mind while reading it is that um berlin Berlin's style of liberalism uh, is grounded in what he calls value pluralism, which is basically that there are a whole host of completely rationally incommensurable value systems out there. And that so long as you are basically grounded in the terminology of your own one, you will can basically never be persuaded over to the other one, which makes 
creedal pluralism, basically a brute fact of political life. And that's one of the reasons uh, Berlin considers himself a political liberal. Uh, and it's just fascinating to me that he locates this first in Machiavelli of all people. Yeah. Um, and since we just dove right into this, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is very much Isaiah Berlin's analysis and interpretation of the work that seems accurate and it seems like a very good reading of Machiavelli, but it is a controversial, or it is an interpretation very much different from most of what history of philosophy ha has had towards Machiavelli, and it is is unique. Um, and I, I don't think he is importing too much in a Machiavelli, but there might be some things that. Certainly his approach to understanding Machiavelli is unique from the way Machiavelli would conceive of himself and what he's working on. And I, I, I think Berlin actually does does say it explicitly that what he sees and what he understands as to the changes Machiavelli has brought about in political theory weren't intentional. It wasn't Machiavelli as a philosopher breaking new ground. It was somewhat accidental. His approach, his methodology broke from everything else in a way that we've been trying to understand. And Berlin is saying Machiavelli didn't know what he was doing and everyone since hasn't really understood what actually happened. And so he proposes this, this new way for understanding where Machiavelli broke from the past. Right. And so I think we, I think it would, benefit us to walk through this a little um at least take a broad sweep over it um because you know what what you said is that berlin's interpretation of machiavelli is um you know unique or different from what much of the rest of uh or many of the other interpreters of the history of political thought how they've interpreted machiavelli um, but one of the the points he makes in the first part of this paper is that there is no accepted way to interpret Machiavelli. Uh, he, he he runs through this really incredible literature review almost of interpretations of Machiavelli. It is the most comprehensive, most comprehensive, well researched understanding. Uh, analysis of secondary literature right. and, I've ever seen. It was and this was written in the, uh, was this the 60s? Uh, so, I mean, you know, we imagine the, the amount of Machiavelli literature that's pro proliferated since then. Um, I'm thinking of like uh, John McCormick at Chicago, who has, uh, you know, read Machiavelli with sort of a populist bent. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, Harvey Mansfield and Nathan Tarkov hadn't been writing at this point. So I, you know, the the amount of and the, and then there's also a school of of people who read him sort of as a Christian, um, and and the and so 
that there is no accepted reading of Machiavelli, at least that we have received from people doing work in the history of political thought. So it's hard to say that there's a, a unique interpretation um, because there's no accepted interpretation to compare that with. And to help situate it a little bit chronologically, the most contemporaneous accounts of Machiavelli he mentions are Jacques Martin and Leo Strauss. And so that's kind of the, the state of the field when Berlin d- dives right. into and it. The, well, those are, Martin and Strauss are um, the two most contemporary, what he calls the uh, anti-Machiavels, um, the, the people who are, are uh, uh, most hostile toward Machiavelli writing um, contemporary, uh, contemporary with him uh which there is a there was a long and illustrious tradition of um he talks a lot about for some reason the elizabethans had this obsession with machiavelli being um the most evil uh you know conniving uh political thinker of the time which they got um from france there's a um if you've ever read uh, Measure by Measure by uh, William Shakespeare, uh, there's a, a, a theory that he actually bases it off of the prince, um, but not because he read the prince directly, but because he learned of it from a uh, French criticism of Machiavelli, which was called Anti-Machiavel. Um, and so some of the key facts are wrong. Uh, and Shakespeare imports those wrong facts in there. And I, it seems elsewhere in Shakespeare's work, there's some pretty clear references to Machiavelli. I, I think it's, it, it doesn't seem like he ever did read him, but uh, coming out of, what was it we just did? that Macbeth or Macbeth, yes. Macbeth. Uh, Fortuna and Virtu seem right. very much to uh, play a hand in there in a way that seems to be referential to right. Machiavelli and, but if um, so so that um, Maritain and Strauss are the two uh, you know thinkers who align themselves most sharply against Machiavelli I think Berlin identifies um, Croce as you know what what he sees as kind of the dominant interpretation at that time of Machiavelli and we have to take we have to qualify dominant a lot because there were so many others and uh the what he calls the Crocian school of Machiavelli is that he recognizes that you have to suspend the Christian ethic to govern uh, and that he's in anguish about this, um, that he, he, he regards it as a supremely regrettable fact of political existence that uh, the, the Christian virtues are so incompatible with you know, the, the, the evil or the, the not goodness that's required to rule effectively. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to give 
too much of an overview of Machiavelli. Hopefully most of our listeners have read The Prince. Uh, if not, the pop the way he's popularly understood is in some ways representative of him. Uh, people who are described as Machiavellian in a limited sense probably kind of reflect some of the things Machiavelli has discussed. But there is a lot going on in The Prince and in the discourses on Livy that are worth reading. As we sort of mentioned, people generally fall into a camp of loving Machiavelli and thinking he understands the world in a way no one else does, or hating him and thinking that Machiavelli is a teacher of evil, is evil himself. Um, I recently wrote a piece uh, for a thwart that very much puts me in the latter. Right, you very uh, much camp. agree with that interpretation. Berlin rejects sort of both of those and says that you guys don't understand what's going on at all. Machiavelli isn't separating morality from the state. He's not trying to emancipate politics or morality from religion. He's not trying to sever, uh, you know, the a time of normalcy from a time of uh, extraordinary conditions in political life. He's not trying to justify rulers doing bad things. He is differentiating between two fundamentally incompatible ideals of life and the fullness of moralities that come with both of them. And so Berlin argues that he's very much an Aristotelian uh, in his approach to political life, that he's really taken the lessons of the politics and his understanding that man is a political animal, cannot be separated from a community, and that is perhaps fullness of our life isn't quite the right description, but that is what life is. Now, one can choose to live as an individual outside of a community, and this Machiavelli, uh, as described by Berlin, would hold that that's what Christianity seeks or different moral systems. They try to come up with a private life, a way to govern the individual and to do so virtuously and to help promote the self's flourishing. But Machiavelli would think that by trying to pursue any sort of individual life like this, you're rejecting the communal life and everything that comes with it. You're rejecting politics, and in doing so, your individual life is not going to be possible. You will not be able to follow through on the moralities you seek. You will disintegrate. Your morality will not be uh, practicable. So I, I think the... Um so Berlin sees Machiavelli's entire political theory as basically teleological in that it's oriented toward a goal. And that goal is something like the revival of the Roman Republic. Um, and so I think it's, it's important to um, remember that, remember the conditions that Machiavelli was writing in 
um, and the and you know how those uh, gave di- direction to his thought. So Machiavelli was a re- was a Florentine, um, and for the, the most of his early life, Florence was split between two factions: the Ghibellines and the Guelphs. Um, and you know, it was a city basically riven by civil war. Uh, so it was, it was never stable. Um, you had, uh, you know, leaders come in and out. Um, you had the, the Soderini family that was eventually and more or less permanently superseded and displaced by the Medici family. Uh, and then these, uh, you know, occasional injections of, uh, like religiously inspired charismatic leaders like Savonarola, uh, who would come in and stir people up into a frenzy. Um, so, you know, Florence in the early 16th century or the late 15th century was, uh, anything but, um, you know, a, a stable republic. And uh, Machiavelli chose the wrong side, uh, aligned himself against the Medicis, and was banished from Florence. Um, and, you know, at the time, Italy wasn't unified, so it wasn't like you could go to Venice and still be in the same country and retain your identity. If you were Italian at that time, your identity was completely inextricable from the city state you lived in. And if you were banished from that state, you were a political nomad. You had you know, no affiliation with the city. And so this had a tremendous effect on him. And, you know, what he spends a lot of, you know, the rest of his life and much of his writings doing is sort of wish casting a way to pull Florence especially out of this morass that it's fallen into. Um, And the goal that he sets, you know, for it to reach is to be something like the Roman Republic. And so Berlin sees uh, any political prescription Machiavelli gives uh, and you know, basically the entirety of his writings as being directed toward how to realize a uh, you know, uh, self-subsistent strong republic like Rome uh, how that can be realized in Florence and and not just subsistent and strong. He wants Rome at its height. He wants the Athens of Pericles. He he wants greatness in political life. Um, yeah, I and, and I think that's an interesting and good hermene, hermeneutic to view this through. A brief note is Savonarola is just one of the most fascinating, interesting, weird people in history. <laughs> a Dominican friar. Um, who at some point I think we should do one of 
his writings. Yeah, cool. um, I do not know enough about nearly as much about him as I'd like. Um, but what a wild and underappreciated guy. I don't think I ever hear him talked about outside of Machiavelli. Well, there are a lot of people uh, who call him something like a proto-Luther um, in, in that, uh, you know, he, uh, he was a charismatic leader who led a semi-schismatic movement against the church. Uh, um you know, gained a lot of adherence. I think he was burned at the stake. Um, uh, and so, yeah, he's fascinating. I, but, but for, you know, for, for our purposes, I think, uh, he's, you know, most interesting as another destabilizing figure in Florence at that point. Uh, you know, and one of several. And I, Savonarola is sort of Machiavelli's example of how things can go wrong one of the the big examples he's described as uh, an unarmed prophet uh in the prince what i think berlin draws out that is interesting is man and there's proto nichean aspects of this and, and i get part of berlin's point is what machiavelli is doing is totally separate from the way some people try to uh, project in the chain approach to it. But the parallels are, are still interesting. It's Machiavelli aspires for the greatness of the ancient pagan world. Again, for the greatness of Athens, for the greatness of Rome, but that in a world of Christian moralities or any other moralities, that's not possible because those moralities are operating in a framework of the individual and not one of the community and community dominance. And Berlin points out how Savonarola is an example of someone trying to achieve this sort of political greatness and overturn the political order, which fundamentally doesn't work because he is limited by sort of the, the lane he's in. Um, I, I did like this uh, brief bit. Berlin writes, What usually happens, in Machiavelli's view, is that since men cannot bring themselves resolutely to follow either of these paths, either the pagan or the Christian, wherever they may lead, men take certain middleways that are very injurious. Indeed, they are unable to be altogether good or altogether bad. They try to effect compromises, vacillate, fall between two stools and end in weakness and in failure that people trying to bridge the gap of uh individual moralities and transition them into a world of communal and political life cannot possibly do it because they're fundamentally different spheres that can't interact um and that's that's wild that that's a big break from the history of philosophy Right, and that's that's uh, where the difference uh, between uh, him and Nietzsche is, uh, because Nietzsche, to some extent, also wanted to revive a lot of the classical martial virtues. But for Nietzsche, um, you know, uh, Nietzsche, um, you know, did a genealogy of Christian morality, right, and 
his um and and a lot of that i think was to uh, you know prove that there was something false about christian morality that it um that it, it essentially had its foundation in something like the will to power or um, hostility toward other people, something that a, a Christian wouldn't be able to recognize as a motivation. Machiavelli has no interest in uh, assessing the validity, you know, the, the, the truthfulness of Christianity. That, and that, according to Berlin, at least. If I may interject, Berlin also seems to think that Machiavelli probably thought it was truthful. And thought it was a good morality within the sphere of an individual's life. And breaking from a lot of commentators on Machiavelli who are saying that Machiavelli was uh, either antagonistic towards religion or satanic. I mean, people really have tended to believe Machiavelli was opposed to religion. And this is just putting it into a separate compartment, which is an interesting move. I'm sorry. Keep. keep no, going. no. I, 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 I think that's right. Um, but and and so the and you, you, you said it right that he's not trying to disprove Christianity. That that, uh, you know, his goal isn't somehow to prove that it's false, or that, uh, he's trying to, um, you know, offer a way that is categorically better in all situations. He's just saying, if you're a Christian, you want to abide by Christian virtues. That's fine. I have nothing to say to you. You can, you know, lead a devout private life. And he probably thinks that's better if most people do that. They're easier to rule if that's the case. They're less likely to overthrow the government of the city they live in if that's the case. Um, but that he has nothing to say to those people. Uh, and, and that's you know, really what this analysis hinges on is that the, the, you know, basically public virtues that he sees are completely incompatible or incommensurable with the private virtues of Christianity. And, um, and, uh, and that's very different from Nietzsche who, you know, I think by, 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 uh, you know, doing a genealogy wants to, you know, somehow prove that Christian virtues are false. And I, you know, that's, that's where I, I, you know, I think that maybe they might have the same effect, but uh, Machiavelli's intention is very different. And I think a good, like the perfect example of sort of how these moralities don't coincide is the church of the era. Machiavelli talks about, in Berlin's framing, I, I, I guess, uh, of uh, what Machiavelli is saying, you can see that the men who are capable of governing and taking power and, and have some of the public virtues do not have any of the private virtue that could keep them from being corrupt. Uh, and the, the pious devout those particularly in their monasteries are not in a community in a way that they could have any power or or don't have the public virtues uh in a sense that they can combat those without the private virtues and he it seems like trying to compromise between 
public and private lives brings about a weakness and an inability to succeed in what we would understand as morality and corruption of what Machiavelli and the state would view as morality or virtue. Right, because one approach you could take is that you know, the the church was a more political institution then than it was now. It controlled land and governed it. It conquered land and then governed it. Um, and the tactics it had to use to do that were, you know, not recognizably Christian tactics. And so one approach you could take is to say, well, the Christian tactics themselves are nonsense uh, because look, even these leaders can't adhere to them. It's kind of a, you know, uh, invalidation by hypocrisy thing. And what Machiavelli would say is, no, no, no. It doesn't mean that the the Christian tactics or virtues are false. It's just that they're uh, following a set of virtues that are completely different and, you know, not even commensurable on the same terms. And again, Berlin is insistent that Machiavelli isn't immoral or amoral but that his sense of morality, his sense of morality deeply embedded within the polis is entirely distinct from how the world's been viewed previously. He writes, Machiavelli's values, I should like to repeat, are not instrumental, but moral and ultimate. And he calls for great sacrifices in their name. It isn't giving up uh, any sense of right or wrong in order uh, to achieve power or, or just greatness. There is a sense of right and wrong for which greatness within the city is manifested. And, and these two realms are very, very distinct. Berlin continues, this is plain enough. There are two worlds, that of personal morality and that of public organization. There are two ethical codes, both ultimate, not two autonomous regions, one of ethics, another of politics, but two, for Machiavelli, exhaustive alternatives between two conflicting systems of values. If a man chooses the first way, he must give up all hopes of Athens and Rome, the noble and glorious society in which human beings can thrive and grow strong, proud, wise, and productive. Indeed, they must abandon all hope of a tolerable life on earth, for men cannot live outside society. They will not survive collectively if they are led by men who are influenced by the first private morality. They will not be able to realize their minimal goals as men. They will end in a state of moral, not merely political, degradation. But if a man chooses, as Machiavelli himself has done, the second course, then he must suppress his private qualms, if he has any, for it is certain that those who are too squeamish during the remaking of a society, or even during the pursuit and maintenance of its power and glory, will go to the wall. Whoever has chosen to make an omelet cannot do so without breaking eggs. And I'm sorry, that's a, a bit long of a passage, but I, I think Berlin's writing really shines through that, and it, it gets to the heart of how he understands Machiavelli. And so while it's long... I, well, I think one of the most agreed-upon elements of Machiavelli's work is that there's a methodological shift more so than anything else, that politics is becoming what's practicable, not solely what's ideal. 
this is a really unique way in trying to understand that shift in methodology. Right, that it's not so much an Im- empirical uh, you know, statement, you know, this is what politics is, uh, and it's regrettable, uh, and, uh, and can't live up to the ideals that we've set for ourselves. That's, that's, it's not that it's that not only this is how politics is, but it governed by a system of values normative in themselves that are completely incommensurable with the ideal values we've set for ourselves. And that's, I think the, the, the view of Machiavelli where he just kind of bring politics from the clouds down to the earth and that that's where things go from there doesn't adequately deal with the normative dimension he introduces, which is that all of these values ought to be normative. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I see some sense to not seeking utopianism as as a political science i but debasing man to try and figure out how to govern i i don't think is any any better it's making the same mistake in the opposite direction uh and so in what in what sense does this debase man <clears throat> this is a debasement insofar as that i think there are two ways in which that is so i do think that even if the new methodological approach of machiavelli even if this bifurcation of moralities uh, is true and accurate, I think that the manner by which Machiavelli sets a very low standard for, for what public morality should be only encourages such a low standard to be met. Uh, I, I think this sense of uh, over-realism doesn't, it doesn't encourage rulers to act in a good way. I, I don't think there's any motivating uh, influence to it. And I think that plays out insofar as seeing what political leaders have in history been influenced by Machiavelli. But I, I think more important for me is that Machiavelli is trying to sever I, I just said that getting rid of utopianism might be a good thing. Utopianism, I, I think, might be a, a, a faulty way of, of conceiving of ideal society. Machiavelli mentions that he doesn't want to spend any time uh, thinking about or dwelling in imaginary republics and principalities. I do think it is necessary to have a sense of the political ideal, to have a good sense of what 
human flourishing looks like, what good life is before you try to develop any subsequent political science. If political life is just trying to keep, is just trying to endure and keep uh, the um, rulers in power for as long as possible, which Machiavelli absolutely wants. I think that you need to have a sense of good in the world. You can't just have that. So a couple things with that. First is that, yes, keeping rulers in power as long as possible is good, but I don't think it's a good in itself in that part of the value in that is the stability it conferred on the people who live there and the goods that they can reap but because of not constantly being at war with themselves or with other people or not constantly experiencing a change of leadership because they're being conquered all the time but the other is that so Machiavelli obviously rejects the construction of ideal societies, especially if we think of those as something like, say, Plato's Republic. Um, but that doesn't mean he has no way of distinguishing between good and bad uh, societies. And Berlin makes this point, um, and this is something that I think Hobbes does as well, is that Machiavelli turns to history to decide what's good and what's bad. So you mentioned uh, you know, Periclean Athens or the Roman Republic. One of the reasons he thinks that these are achievable goals is that they actually happened, that, that these were actual societies that people lived in versus something like um, you know, Plato's city and speech never, ever existed. Um, and so that, you know, by turning to history and I think you actually made this point in your piece about Plato, that one of the ways we can distinguish between better or worse in political life is by turning to history and, you know, by doing serious historical studies of regimes, we can get a better sense of better or worse qualities of those things. And I think... Machiavelli thinks something sort of the same thing. Um, and that that's why a lot of, you know, his writing is dedicated to history. The discourses are, are a, uh, you know, a, a tract on Roman history and uh, the history of Florence, uh, you know, also you know, treats the changes that Florence goes through, uh, you know, from a historical perspective. Um, and so that it's not that he can't distinguish between better or worse. It's that he turns to history to do so, uh, you know, versus some other standard. The regimes that are models for Machiavelli, I don't think would have been using Machiavelli's framework as such either, though. It, I... Pericles wasn't looking to history. Moses wasn't looking to history. 
Romulus wasn't looking to history. They had senses of an idea or senses of a goal that I don't think any of them realized or realized in terms of none of them actually came to be. Periclean Athens was nowhere near as great as Pericles wanted it to be. It constantly disappointed him. Moses did not get to see the promised land. The I think only an abstract, well-described vision of what the good life could be or human flourishing or the ideal political community can motivate you to that level of greatness. Otherwise, all you're doing is imitating aspects of good things in the past. If you're trying to replicate the successes of Rome, you are not going to be Rome. I I, I think that's a silly project. But... Well, that there's there's two things to that one is that that's not a sense that Machiavelli probably had. They he didn't have the the sense of historical incommensurability that we now after Hegel mostly have. Um, so he certainly thought that we could. Um, you know, but but not Rome. But if you take some of the characteristics, being a you know martial, republican, sort of belligerent state, um, you know, is that something you can realize? Uh, you know, because even if you even if he looks historically, um, you know, if you think of the Roman Republic as kind of the um combining some of the martial virtues of Sparta and some of the constitutional virtues of Athens or, or something that these aren't necessarily types that are so relegated to a historical period, but you know, can be found in Greek city States and also in Rome. But that um, was that, Mussolini's that, project and that had nowhere near imitated the success of Rome. I, I, right. I, I don't think that's an effective approach and and not just i mean i don't want to just argue that the factual truth of the matter is that machiavelli's theory isn't practicable i i do think that but i i think theoretically it's just mistaken i and so is, is your is your point that turning to history also leads to a kind of utopianism think so i i think it does uh, and and i think uh machiavelli might might be guilty of really fetishizing history uh, as a utopian quest i i didn't think of it quite in those terms but that that's fair i i think that is accurate i think that's a good point because just to um uh you know do a callback to last week's episode um we uh, mentioned that Robespierre and the French revolutionaries also saw themselves as um, uh, a kind of rebirth 
of the Roman Republic. And to understate it, that got very ugly. Um, and you just mentioned that Mussolini saw the same sort of thing, and that got very ugly. Um, so I think it's if you think of turning to history as the antidote toward turning to uh, something like the ideal as constructed by reason, then that has a lot of the same utopian dangers um you know as pursuing something like say that the uh the you know to some extent the soviet union is the you know the other category um where you're pursuing something that's never been actualized but you see it as a kind of rational ideal that was also very ugly um and and that both of these types are uh you know things that can lead to um an ugly brand of politics maybe because of theoretical limitations so i don't think that a return to political i guess we could say political idealism or a theoretic idealism is necessarily the same thing as utopianism and isn't doesn't have to be what Machiavelli is criticizing either and I try to make this point in my first essay for a Thor on on Plato that a lot of the realities that Machiavelli sees and understands have been commonly understood for as long as we have recorded history. Uh, most of these insights, and Berlin goes through this, Aristotle and Plato wouldn't have winked at. It, it, it was natural to them. Plato does have a sense of idealism. The Republic does strive to create a sense of what a model, just, ideal city could be and would look like. But it is not utopian. Throughout the work, Socrates is very clear about the impracticability of such a thing, of not being able to know whether your utopia was utopian or not, of not having any sense of what right or wrong might actually be. But I think the act of trying to imagine and conceptualize that does help you to construct a stronger better, more just society. You don't have to enact your utopia, but the exaggeration, the city in speech, definitely helps you to understand what is good and should be aimed for and what is wrong and should be avoided. I think better than just historical anecdote does. But approaching history in that way too, I think could be would be useful and that's not exactly what Machiavelli does but idealism is important I think that that all makes sense if we're working more or less within a single value system and that part of the point that Berlin makes is that by constructing a parallel value system, Machiavelli is able to make right-wrong distinctions along basically a different axis. Um, 
And so, you know, we can say he makes these, if we stay along the plane of a single value system, we can say, okay, well, he makes these insights and, uh, and therefore, um, you know, they're maybe more realistic, which is, you know, realistic is kind of a value neutral term. It's just something that can be actualized. So they're realistic, but along this, you know, plane of values, uh, the means you have to take to achieve this thing are undesirable. Um, and that kind of, that's kind of how people who interpret Machiavelli as the teacher of evil think of him as in that he basically understands the, 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 the Christian um, hierarchy of values is the hierarchy of values. And he's willing to go against that anyway, and to teach evil and that he knows he's teaching evil rather than what Berlin thinks that he knows he's teaching good, but basically a different kind of good and a good that is just not commensurable with the Christian good. And it might be bad according to the Christian good, but what he thinks is good according to this kind of martial sense uh, is, uh, you know, the, the bad of the Christian good and vice versa. The bad according to the martial good is the good according to the Christian good. Um, and it's really hard when you think of it like that to get out of that dilemma, basically, because the point of incommensurable belief systems, the reason they're incommensurable is because it's completely irreconcilable. So the only way you can get out of that is basically by denying the goodness of anything in the parallel system that Machiavelli sets up. And then the question is, are we willing to deny that those things are good? Any of them are good. Um, that some sort of you know martial sense that leads to a kind of Republican freedom, which is that you can't get dominated from an outside group. Um, you know, is there anything good in those things? And if you say yes, then you're in a kind of tough position to then reconcile that with the 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 Christian sense of good. With the Christian sense of good, sure. I don't think with Plato's sense of good, that is too difficult to reconcile. And maybe that gets to part of the pagan-Christian divide Berlin's bringing out. Sure, because Ber Berlin isn't setting, isn't creating a dichotomy of, uh, well, he calls the Machiavelli's parallel system, he calls it pagan, but he's not creating a Machiavelli-Plato dichotomy, which maybe you're right, would be a false dichotomy. He's creating a Machiavelli-Christian dichotomy. So I think what we have to do then is assess whether that's a false dichotomy. And then either you have to reject the entire Machiavellian system, or if you affirm that some of it's good, Berlin thinks you have to affirm the incommensurability of the two also. So I get, I get what you're saying there. My difficulty then is if it's that pagan Christian dichotomy and it isn't 
then why isn't Nietzsche right that it's just the Christian values themselves that are faulty for political life? Ber Berlin's trying, seems to be making the point that these are fundamentally distinct, the public virtue and the private virtue, public morality, private morality. Whether it's Christian or pagan on either side doesn't really matter. These realms are distinct. But if it ends up just being that the Christian values are at odds with what it takes to govern a society. Maybe the Abrahamic values are against what it takes to rule society. Why isn't Nietzsche right? Or why isn't it... Maybe this is some, in part, testament to the veracity of the moral claims, that they're just so fundamentally opposed to what... what life in the world and in society looks like but well Nietzsche's claim isn't that uh, uh, Christian values are politically useless I mean that's part of it maybe but I think Nietzsche's claim is that they are, are, are grounded in a falsity that 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 the the what Christian teaching constructs as the source of the claim is false, that they don't come from something, you know, implanted by God. They come from a, you know, hostility and will to power against other people. And that, that so Nietzsche thinks they're just, they're false. That's it. There's no incommensurability there. One is superior to the other because one is true and the other is false. But you know, if Machiavelli is drawing this public-private distinction, um, which is kind of how we're painting it, but just say this pagan-Christian distinction, you know, Machiavelli is not saying that the Christian ones are false or are grounded in something false, just that they have nothing to say about political life. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that granting that dichotomy makes Nietzsche right uh, you know we could see it as something tragic about political life I guess and Berlin is pretty emphatic that Machiavelli doesn't see it as tragic that uh, you know that that he's not anguished about it um, but I mean of course if if we were to accept this dichotomy that doesn't mean that we need not be anguished about it yeah th this is berlin has helped me appreciate more of machiavelli i i'm glad that this approach to him has been brought uh brought to me i just can't get on board with with machiavelli i so I do think it's a problem that I don't think Berlin would disagree with this uh, based on what he's written in here. We have imported a lot of the values Machiavelli sets out in this political realm into our social realm. I think people have... And part of what frustrated me and prompted me to write the, the piece I did is... People talk about the need for Machiavellian business leaders, Machiavellian this, Machiavellian that. We need more Machiavellianism. 
And like, I think it's pretty unobjectionable claim that the vast majority of people don't understand anything about Machiavelli. Um, and even probably a good bit who, who have read him don't. I, I think it's, I don't sufficiently understand him. Uh, but Machiavellianism is not a solution for social problems. It is not an approach to life. It, it is a way of viewing politics and political life and should not be taken elsewhere. Well, that raises an interesting point, which is that our, 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 uh, what are, are, are interpersonal relations political or not? And to have the, or not, you have to, uh, rely on some kind of public private distinction that is basically liberal in nature. And if you reject that distinction, that more or less makes everything public. Um, and and then um, do you not then run into the same then? So my, my point being, uh, does sustaining this dichotomy rely on a public private distinction? If you collapse the liberal public private distinction, do you then have to choose between one of those systems? And is part of the point you're making that this distinction is kind of illusory and that we choose the kind of, you know, we nominally choose the Machiavellian system for how we govern ourselves in politics, but that there's no real distinction between that and our social lives. And so it bleeds over. Um, I'm not sure I have a good answer for either of those. I think a lot of people try to apply this political approach to their social lives or business lives in a way that's very misguided alongside like pop stoicism and and just like the Plato and the Google Plex kind of dumb stuff uh, that happens in public philosophy and particularly because Machiavelli is so famous and well known relatively well read or commonly read rather um, but I do, th I mean, it seems to me that a lot of the public private distinction has collapsed in our lives today. And I, I don't see you're, you're seeming to come at it that it's only with our liberal system that we could have that distinction, but I feel like the distinctions erased, and maybe that's a reality of being in, in some ways, a hyper-democratic society that everything becomes political. And so everything then becomes subject to these political values, virtues, morals. Um, and that's gross, if that is the case. Well, I think my point is not that um, a public-private distinction relies on liberal society it's that liberal political theory posits a public private distinction and that it is wrong about that 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 basically does not exist and that if it doesn't if it doesn't exist then 
you can't sustain the dichotomy that Machiavelli sets up. You can't have one value system governing public life and one governing private life if there's no real distinction between those things. Ah. Uh, I I'm on board with that. Well then this is starting to become a criticism of Berlin's work, I think, because Machiavelli would say there is just political life. It, every Everything is political. We are fundamentally political animals. And I think if he was to be asked that same question, is there a distinction or no, he would probably say no. Uh, well, I guess there's a difference. For Machiavelli, I think there's a difference between what we're calling public and what he would call something like governing. Um, but yes, I think yes. Berlin sees it as something like public. And I would agree with you that it's sort of an indictment of the kind of liberalism that Berlin wants to sustain. Um, that that you can really, uh, you know, cordon off your private life, um, you know, by whatever private Christian virtues you want to live, um, but that your public life has to be governed by something else. Um, and that might not necessarily be what, I don't think Berlin thinks public life needs to be governed by what Machiavelli thinks it does. But I just think he thinks the, he thinks that the value in commensurability is something that we still experience. Um, and it's interesting because his students um, so, uh, one of Isaiah Berlin's many students was Charles Taylor, um, who, uh, rather than sustaining this kind of incommensurability between belief systems, breaks that down to an incommensurability between goods, uh, to where, um, you know, if we were talking about something like health or family or religion or think that um, a lot of those are things you can't compare next to one another um, and that that might be a better way of sustaining this because um, I think incommensurability is a real problem, but that um, instead of making it between belief systems, which I think Berlin thinks Machiavelli does and which Berlin also does, you make it between individual goods in the belief system and that there are some ways of then you can't choose between the two but you can harmonize the bundle of goods and that that's a way kind of out of this problem um, but that if you just set up entire belief systems next to one another they certainly look incommensurable and that's the problem Berlin sees and where he situates Machiavelli in the history of political thought is that he was uh, the uh, spark basically that made this a problem for the subsequent history of political thought. Um, things weren't necessarily going smoothly before him. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't inherit a perfectly platonic intellectual tradition that he then detonated. Uh, but but that his insight, you know, kind of lit the powder keg, and alongside, you know, he sees 
incommensurable value systems not soon was the prince written in like 1512 1508 something like that um something something like 10 years after the prince was written the reformation begins um the 30 years war starts something like half a century later and then you get um you know thinkers like hobbes especially um whose <laughs> political thought is almost dedicated to how to deal with the problem of uh factions with incommensurable uh you know ideals warring against one another and so if you see machiavelli as the inaugurator of that tradition um you know he starts to look very very influential he does um looks like 1513 or 1532 uh different ways of con- conceiving of when it was first published but yeah i i i think you're right about that there's different ways to describe sort of the changes machiavelli made um I, I do think he's kind of the fundamental break between what we would call ancient and modern. Um, I and I don't mean this derisively or, or to speak illy of Berlin in this. I think Machiavelli is also a really interesting thinker onto which everyone else can project their way of understanding the world and history of philosophy. Um in a way that's maybe a disservice to Machiavelli. Uh, Berlin seems more honest to to the prince than, than some commentators, but the, it really is an interesting way to... <laughs> seeing how other people see Machiavelli is a great way to understand uh, the way they view the world. Um, for for you know, those of you listening who want to set out your own interpretation of... Uh, Machiavelli, Berlin does raise two problems that I think are interesting. Um, one is that uh, he says the, 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 the prince and the discourses are examples of exceptionally clear and terse Renaissance prose. Um, now, of course, there's, there, now there's, of course, the tradition of people who uh, you know, think that Machiavelli wrote esoterically, but... Um, Harvey Mansfield but that, and numerology is... Right, but that there are a you know there's a there's a it's it's very clearly written. Um, you can you can read it and basically understand what he's getting at. Uh, and the discourses are the same way. The other one is that you have to reconcile the prince and the discourses, which seem to have almost contradictory lessons. Um, and so if you if your interpretation of Machiavelli doesn't somehow reconcile the two, then it's probably incomplete. Um, yeah. Well, I think he thinks that uh, a a well, I th- the he Berlin does say that a well governed despotism basically is better than a poorly governed republic and that he probably prefers the well-governed republic that he discusses in the discourses 
to the despotism that he mentions in the prince, but that the goods that a despotism can secure in the prince are superior to being in a shoddily governed republic, basically. Um, and that that's sort of a way of harmonizing the two. Um, maybe, and if you're not satisfied with that, then um, I, you know, that calls for a different interpretation, but that's at least the one that Berlin offers. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Phrenesis. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't checked out our previous ones, I, I think they're actually pretty good. Um, although we seem to be getting a little better at this each time. So definitely keep listening as well. Leave us a review. We'd super appreciate it. Any questions, comments, let us know. Check out our website. Thank you very much. <laughs>